0: SECTIONS 17 AND 18 OF 100% THE STORY OF A PATRIOT BY UPTON SINCLAIR THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN SECTION 17 It had been arranged for Guffey that at the end of a week Peter was to have a secret meeting with one of the chief detective's men. So Peter told the girls that he was tired of being a prisoner in the house and must get some fresh air. Oh, please, Mr. Gudge, don't take such a chance, cried Sadie. Her thin, anxious face suddenly growing more anxious and thin. "'Don't you know this house is being watched? They are just hoping to catch you out alone. It would be the last of you.' "'I'm not so important as that,' said Peter. But she insisted that he was, and Peter was pleased in spite of his boredom. He liked to hear her insist upon his importance. "'Oh!' she cried. "'Don't you know yet how much depends on you as a witness for the Goober defense?' this case is of concern to millions of people all over the world it is a test case mr gudge are they to be allowed to murder the leaders of the working class without a struggle no we must show them that there is a great movement a world-wide awakening of the workers a struggle for freedom for the wage slaves but peter could stand no more of this all right he said suddenly interrupting sadie's eloquence I suppose it's my duty to stay, even if I die of consumption, being shut up without any fresh air. He would play the martyr, which was not so hard, for he was one and looked like one, with his thin, one-sided little figure and his shabby clothes. Both Sadie and Jenny gazed at him with admiration and sighed with relief. But later on, Peter thought of an idea. He could go out at night, he told Sadie, and slip out the back way so that no one would see him. He would not go into crowds or brightly lighted streets, so there would be no chance of his being recognized. There was a fellow he absolutely had to see who owed him some money. It was way over on the other side of the city, that was why he rejected Jenny's offer to accompany him. So that evening Peter climbed a back fence and stole through a neighbor's chicken yard and got away. He had a fine time ducking and dodging in the crowds, making sure that no one was trailing him to his secret rendezvous who might chance to be suspicious of his comradeship. It was in the American house, an obscure hotel, and Peter was to take the elevator to the fourth floor, without speaking to anyone, and to tap three times on the door of room 427. Peter did so, and the door opened and he slipped in, and there he met Jerry McGivney, with the face of a rat. "'Well, what have you got?' demanded McGivney, and Peter sat down and started to tell. With eager fingers he undid the amateur sewing in the lining of his coat, and pulled out his notes with the names and descriptions of people who had come to see him. McGivney glanced over them quickly. "'Jesus,' he said, "'what's the good of all this?' "'Well, but they're reds,' exclaimed Peter. "'I know,' said the other, "'but what of that? We can go hear them spout at meetings any night. We got membership lists of these different organizations. But what about the Goober case?' ''Well,'' said Peter, ''they're agitating about it all the time. They've been printing stuff about me.'' ''Sure, we know that,'' said McGivney, ''and the hell of a fine story you gave them. You must have enjoyed hearing yourself talk. But what good does that do us?'' ''But what do you want to know?'' cried Peter in dismay. ''We want to know their secret plans,'' said the other. ''We want to know what they're doing to get our witnesses. We want to know who it is that is selling us out. Who's the spy in the jail?'' didn't you find that out? No, said Peter. Nobody said anything about it. Good God, said the detective, do you expect them to bring you things on a silver tray? He began turning over Peter's notes again, and finally threw them on the bed in disgust. He began questioning Peter, and Peter's dismay turned to despair. He had not got a single thing that McGivney wanted. His whole week of sleuthing had been wasted. The detective did not mince words. It's plain that you're a boob, he said, but such as you are, we've got to do the best we can with you. Now put your mind on it and get it straight. We know who these Reds are, and we know what they're teaching. We can't send them to jail for that. What we want you to find out is the name of their spy, and who are the witnesses in the Goober case, and what they're going to say. But how can I find out things like that? cried Peter. You've got to use your wits, said McGivney, but I'll give you one tip get yourself a girl a girl cried peter in wonder sure thing said the other that's the way we always work guffey says there's just three times when people tell their secrets the first is when they're drunk and the second is when they're in love then mcgivney stopped peter who wanted to complete his education inquired and the third the third is when they're both drunk and in love was the reply and peter was silent smitten with admiration This business of sleuthing was revealing itself as more complicated and more fascinating all the time. Ain't you seen any girl you fancy in that crowd? demanded the other. Well, it might be, said Peter shyly. It ought to be easy, continued the detective. Them reds are all free lovers, you know. Free lovers? exclaimed Peter. How do you mean? Didn't you know about that? laughed the other. Peter sat staring at him. All the women that Peter had ever known or heard of took money for their love. They either took it directly, or they took it in the form of automobile rides and flowers and candy and tickets to the wang-doodle-things. Could it be that there were women who did not take money in either form, but whose love was entirely free? The detective assured him that such was the case. They boast about it, he said. They think it's right. And to Peter that seemed the most shocking thing he had yet heard about the Reds to be sure when he thought it over he could see that it had some redeeming points it was decidedly convenient from the point of view of the man it was so much money in his pocket if women chose to be that silly and peter found himself suddenly thinking about little jenny todd yes she would be that silly it was plain to see she gave away everything she had so of course she would be a free lover peter went away from his rendezvous with mcgivney "'Thrilling with a new and wonderful idea. "'You couldn't have got him to give up his job now. "'This sleuthing business was the real thing.' "'It was late when Peter got home, "'but the two girls were sitting up for him, "'and their relief at his safe return was evident. "'He noticed that Jenny's face expressed deeper concern than her sister's, "'and this gave him a sudden new emotion. "'Jenny's breath came and went more swiftly "'because he had entered the room, "'and this affected his own breath in the same way. He had a swift impulse towards her, an entirely unselfish desire to reassure her and relieve her anxiety. But with an instinctive understanding of the sex game, which he had not before known he possessed, he checked this impulse and turned instead to the older sister, assuring her that nobody had followed him. He told an elaborate story, prepared on the way. He had worked for ten days for a fellow at Sawing Wood. Hard work, you bet. And then the fellow had tried to get out of paying him. Peter had caught him at his home that evening, and had succeeded in getting five dollars out of him, and a promise of a few dollars more every week. That was to cover future visits to McGivney. Section 18 Peter lay awake a good part of the night, thinking over this new job, that of getting himself a girl. He realized that for some time he had been falling in love with little Jenny. But he wanted to be sane and practical. He wanted to use his mind in choosing a girl. He was after information, first of all. And who had the most to give him? He thought of Miss Nebbins, who was secretary to Andrews, the lawyer. She would surely know more secrets than anyone else, but then Miss Nevins was an old maid, who wore spectacles and broad toed shoes, and was evidently out of the question for love making. Then he thought of Miss Standish, a tall blonde beauty who worked in an insurance office and belonged to the Socialist Party. She was a swell dresser, and Peter would have been glad to have something like that to show off to McGivney and the rest of Guffey's men. But with the best efforts of his self-esteem, Peter could not imagine himself persuading Miss Standish to look at him. There was a Miss Yankovich, one of the real Reds, who trained with the I.W.W., but she was a Jewess with sharp black eyes that clearly indicated a temper and frightened Peter also he had a suspicion that she was interested in mccormick though of course with these free lovers you could never tell but one girl peter was quite sure about and that was little jenny he didn't know if jenny knew many secrets but surely she could find some out for him once he got her for his own he could use her to question others and so peter began to picture what love with jenny would be like she wasn't exactly what you would call swell but there was something about her that made him sure he needn't be ashamed of her. With some new clothes she would be pretty, and she had grand manners. She had not shown the least fear of the rich ladies who came to the house in their automobiles. Also, she knew an awful lot for a girl, even if most of what she knew wasn't so. Peter lost no time in setting to work at his new job. In the papers next morning appeared the usual details from Flanders, THOUSANDS OF MEN BEING SHOT TO PIECES ALMOST EVERY HOUR OF THE DAY AND NIGHT, A MILLION MEN ON EACH SIDE LOCKED IN A FEROCIOUS COMBAT THAT HAD LASTED FOR WEEKS, THAT MIGHT LAST FOR MONTHS, AND SENTIMENTAL LITTLE JENNY SAT THERE WITH BRIMMING EYES, TALKING ABOUT IT WHILE PETER ATE HIS OATMEAL AND THIN MILK. AND PETER TALKED ABOUT IT, TOO. HOW WICKED IT WAS, AND HOW THEY MUST STOP IT, HE AND JENNY TOGETHER. HE AGREED WITH HER NOW. HE WAS A SOCIALIST. He called her comrade, and told her she had converted him. Her eyes lighted up with joy, as if she had really done something to end the war. They were sitting on the sofa, looking at the paper, and they were alone in the house. Peter suddenly looked up from the reading and said, very much embarrassed, But comrade Jenny... Yes, she said, and looked at him with her frank gray eyes. Peter was shy, truly a little frightened, this kind of detective business being new to him comrade jenny he said i-i don't know just how to say it but i'm afraid i'm falling a little in love jenny drew back her hands then peter heard her breath come quickly oh mr gudge she exclaimed i-i don't know stammered peter i hope you won't mind oh don't let's do that she cried why not comrade jenny and he added i don't know as i can help it oh we were having such a happy time mr gudge I thought we were going to work for the cause. Well, but it won't interfere. Oh, but it does, it does. It makes people unhappy. Then, and Peter's voice trembled, then you don't care the least bit for me, Comrade Jenny? She hesitated a moment. I don't know, she said. I hadn't thought. And Peter's heart gave a leap inside him. It was the first time that any girl ever had to hesitate in answering that question for Peter. Something prompted him, just as if he had been doing this kind of sleuthing all his life. He reached over and very gently took her hand. "'You do care just a little for me?' he whispered. "'Oh, Comrade Gudge,' she answered, and Peter said, "'Call me Peter. Please, please do.' "'Comrade Peter,' she said, and there was a little catch in her throat.' and Peter, looking at her, saw that her eyes were cast down. "'I know I'm not very much to love,' he pleaded. "'I'm poor and obscure, I'm not good-looking.' "'Oh, it isn't that!' she cried. "'Oh, no, no! Why should I think about such things? You are a comrade!' Peter had known, of course, just how she would take this line of talk. "'Nobody has ever loved me,' he said sadly. "'Nobody cares anything about you when you're poor and have nothing to offer.' "'I tell you, that isn't it,' she insisted. "'Please don't think that. You are a hero. You have sacrificed for the cause, and you are going on and become a leader.' "'I hope so,' said Peter modestly. "'But then what is it, Comrade Jenny? Why don't you care for me?' She looked up at him, and their eyes met, and with a little sob in her voice she answered, "'I'm not well, Comrade Peter. I'm of no use. It would be wicked for me to marry.' Somewhere back in the depths of Peter, where his inner self was crouching, it was as if a sudden douche of ice-cold water were let down on him. "'Marry! Who had said anything about marrying?' Peter's reaction fitted the stock phrase of the comic papers. "'This is so sudden.' But Peter was too clever to reveal such dismay. He humoured little Jenny, saying, "'We don't have to marry right away. I could wait, if only I knew that you cared for me.' And some day, when you get well—' She shook her head sadly. "'I'm afraid I'll never get really well. And besides, neither of us have any money, comrade Peter.' "'Ah, there it was. Money. Always money. This free love was nothing but a dream.' "'I could get a job,' said Peter, just like any other tame and conventional wooer. "'But you couldn't earn enough for two of us,' protested the girl, and suddenly she sprang up. Oh, comrade Peter, let's not fall in love with each other. Let's not make ourselves unhappy. Let's work for the cause. Promise me that you will. Peter promised, but of course he had no remotest intention of keeping the promise. He was not only a detective. He was a man, and in both capacities he wanted comrade Jenny. And over the addressing of envelopes which he undertook with her, he would now and then steal love glances. And Jenny knew now what these looks meant— and the faint flush would creep over her cheeks and down into her neck and throat. She was really very pretty when she was falling in love, and Peter found his new job the most delightful one of his lifetime. He watched carefully and noted the signs, and was sure he was making no mistake. Before Sadie came back at supper-time, he had his arms about Comrade Jenny, and was pressing kisses upon the lovely white throat, and Comrade Jenny was sobbing softly, and her pleading with him to stop had grown faint and unconvincing end of sections 17 and 18